This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Demarest, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking a lot about buying second locations, third locations, you know, and going to a multi-shop. However, what if you're on the other side of your career and you're looking to sell your business? Um, there's a lot of options out there to sell to an outside party, use a broker, list it for sale. But what about selling to a key employee? This is probably the most common thing that we see is people saying, hey, I have a service advisor. I have a general manager. I have a really strong technician that I think can take this thing over from me. What do we do here? And that's what I want to get into this week of, you know, how do we set this up? Why is it a good idea? And then also kind of some things that I would always say to look out for. Before we get into that, though, I want to have a quick word from our partners who allow business by the numbers to actually exist and be possible. Every minute of a text day impacts your profitability. So you want to track that time and make the most of it. Shopware shop management software will give you transparency into each team member's performance. Learn more at GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed program, their unique done-for-you marketing platform takes the guesswork out of the equation. Please visit them at RepairShopOfTomorrow.com. So selling to a key employee, like I was saying before, is probably the most common sale that we see. And there's a number of reasons of why this makes sense. The first and foremost is they already know your business. They know how it runs. They know what kind of stuff that you work on. So a lot of the preliminary questions that we talked about back in the first part of that three-part episode that I did don't even exist because they know exactly how this business operates. Another thing is they already know your employees. Um, One of the big things that we get concerned about anytime that we have acquisition is, all right, do these employees really work for Hunt's Auto Repair or do they work for Hunt? I've seen this time and time again. They have a very strong crew, new owner comes in there, and a lot of people jump ship. This is something to even be more concerned about in today's market because the labor market is so hot. A lot of technicians or service advisors are not going to stick around to feel out the new owner. If they think that it's not going to work, or even if they think that there's a new owner on there, they're going to go to the probably three other places which they already have standing offers from. Another thing that we talked about in the last couple episodes too is is knowing your customer base and having that rapport built up with their customer base. A lot of times, especially if the owner's on the counter, it can be a shock to the customers because they're used to coming in and dealing with Jessica. Jessica sold the business. Jessica's no longer there and they come in to see Hunt working there. Are they going to have that same kind of rapport? Of course not, right? A lot of those customers might have been going there just for that relationship. If that relationship is gone, is that customer gone? However, if you are selling to a key employee, say your service advisor, customers are going to know no different. They're going to think this is the same exact experience that I've always had in the past. And a lot of times people don't even make a big deal and say, hey, I've purchased the business. They keep on doing what they've always done and no one from the outside or even inside knows any better. Just like I was talking about the customers, they don't skip a beat because it's the same experience that they had the day before, even though that the new person now owns it. Same with your employees. Hey, you know what? I already worked for Hunt before. Now he's the boss. That's fine. We're going to keep on doing what we've been doing. This is also usually a lot more attractive for a key employee. There's something to be said about being able to buy a business that, no pun intended, you've already been under the hood of. 
There's not a lot of surprises. They know exactly what you do well and what you can improve on. And also, people would like to stay somewhere if they have a good relationship there. You know, they've built rapport with the team. They don't want to leave there. And so it's very attractive for not only the person selling, but also the person, um, you know, taking over the business. So if you're selling to a key employee in the imminent future, then that transaction is essentially just like selling to an outside party. But what if you want to set up a plan to keep them there and sell to future date? This is something that I see time and time again. You have a general manager, you have a shop manager, you have you know a, a shop foreman, and they come to you and they say, "Boss, I really want to own my own shop." Or maybe they don't come to you that you know oh, they're not knocking you over the head with this idea, but you can just have that fear that hey, if I don't make a move, this person is you know destined to be a shop owner. If I don't make sure that he's part of my plan, they're going to go and make their own plans and I'm going to lose him for good. And so a lot of people think that the best way to keep people hooked on and keep people on board is to give them a minority stake in their business. I get this question all the time from the shops that I work with. Hey, Hunt, thinking about giving uh, Steve a minority share in my business. You know, I'm going to give him 2% this year. Then the next couple of years, I'm going to give him a couple extra percentage points. That's really going to have them ingrained into what we're doing here. Also giving them a split of my profit. And what I always tell people is no, do not do that. There's a couple big reasons why we do not want to do that. And then the next part is going to be, all right, what's a better option, hon, if I don't want to do a minority stock sale here? So the first and foremost, probably biggest issue why I hate giving minority shares into my business is that you've lost control over that portion of the business. And what I mean by that is you've given someone 2%, 3%, 5% of your business. I don't care what you have in the paperwork. That's a one-way street. If something were to happen, you know, whether, you know, they get injured or they move or they become a bad employee and you want to get that ownership back, unless they're agreeable to it, you have a very tough spot. You're in a very tough spot because you can't just go and say, hey, you know what? Um, you haven't been doing stuff exactly the way that I wanted. You've been showing up late. You've had a bad attitude. I'm tearing up this agreement. You no longer own 5% of my business. They're going to come back and say, you know what? I kind of like being 5% of your business. You can fire me, but I still own 5% of your business until you buy me out. And then you say, all right, well, now I'm going to buy you out. What's the business worth? It gets really ugly really quick. They essentially hold all the cards there and you've lost a little bit of control. Now, what if everything goes perfectly fine and you don't ever fire this employee and everything goes just peachy? You also have lost the ability to make all of the decisions that you want for your business. You now have a partner in your business. And let's say that you get a little bit creative with some of your expenses and some of the stuff that you write off through the business. I know a lot of people do this. Very common. You're self-employed, you're small business, trying to get all the benefits that you possibly can for taxes. That's great. However, if you have someone that is a 5% owner in your business, they're not going to be very happy about that. Hey, you decided to run your season tickets through advertising because we're giving them out to good customers and good vendors. That's fine when you own this all on your own, but you can no longer do that kind of stuff because now that's affecting the bottom line. And if you're affecting the bottom line, you're affecting both partners, even if it's a 5% partner. Other things like paying yourself. Hey, how much do you want to take on payroll? How much do you not want to take on payroll? How much do you want to take out in distributions? 
all of this gets very, very tricky. And depending on how in-depth you want to get, can make it very hard to keep everything fair. The last reason that I don't like doing these is it will end up being a stock sale. So usually, the you know, I still have people that do this. It's not very common, but I see this happen. So they say, all right, every year that you work for me, you get 2%. So this is a five-year plan. By the end of the year five, you own 10% of the business already. Now, at the end of those five-year period, now you need to buy me out for 90% of what the business is worth. Since this person is already a shareholder on your business, you're kind of locked into doing a stock sale. If you remember from the last couple of weeks that we talked about, and as a quick aside, if you have not listened to the last three weeks where we're talking about going multi-location, I would go and listen to that. It's not essential for this episode, but I think it was a really good couple episodes there. It would probably add a lot of depth even to this episode alone. But the reason why we do not like stock sales is stock sales are very good for the seller, not very good for the buyer. So I won't get into it in too depth, but for the seller of the business, for you selling to the key employee, it works out really well for you to do a stock sale. All of the money that you receive will be taxed at capital gains rate. However, the downside to this is the buyer of the business is assuming all of your liability. If I'm talking to the buyer and I'm serving as an accountant for the buyer, I'm telling them do not do this because I don't want to assume that liability. So what happens and you say, Hunt, what a liability is he assuming? So let's say that same example where they were giving 2% a year for five years. And then at the end of the year five, he bought out the remaining 90% of the stock. Now he owns that business. The following week, the IRS comes knocking on the door and says, hey, we're here to do an audit. They come through the audit. They find $60,000 worth of stuff that the previous owner wasn't doing correctly. That is not the previous owner's problem. That is now the new owner's problem. The IRS doesn't care what happened, you know, who owned it when that stuff happened. They're saying you're on the books right now. You're responsible right now. So this is coming out of your pocket. Same exact thing happens with sales tax. Same exact thing happens if they were messing around with payroll or overtime or stuff like that. You're signing up for a lot of liability, and generally you just can't know what all that liability could be. Because some of these things, people weren't intentionally doing stuff illegal or doing stuff wrong. It happens, right? Lawsuits and audits are very, very common for small businesses. Uh, the last thing on the stock sale that I don't like about it is, like I said, it, it treats the seller very favorably, but the buyer not only is picking up a lot of, a lot of liability, they get no deduction for it. So if you buy the stock of the business, just like if you buy a stock off of the stock exchange, you do not get a deduction for whatever you pay for that stock. The only time that you can use that money that you paid for the stock is when you sell the business or sell the stock. So let's say that your key employee is 35 years old, buys you out for $500,000. He is not going to be able to deduct that $500,000 until he sells that business. That's probably 20, 30 years down the road, hopefully, right? Now, something to think about that is, all right, they're going to be paying you off or paying a bank off for this stock sale, but they're going to get no deductions against that. And so there's some situations where you know you would have to make $40,000, $50,000 a year in profit just to cover the loan payment. And if you're getting no deduction on this, you would then have to make even more money to just be able to cover the taxes on that profit alone. So long story short, we don't like to give out minority shares. It doesn't generally work well. It can cause a lot of issues. 
And like I teased, there's a better way to do this. When you started in this business, did you really think that cars would be driving themselves and that people would be buying cars online without test driving them? I don't think any of us did, yet that's exactly what is going on. On the repair side, the auto industry is changing fast. Customers expect quick answers and proof that they need the repairs that you recommend. They want to pay you while buying a coffee, then rate you on Yelp after picking up their keys. So why stay in the past? A shop owner named Carolyn asked herself the same question, so she created an online shop management system that automates the stuff you do over and over again. She and her team added texting in every step in the process from booking your appointment to posting that stellar review. They learn from their customers just like you learn from yours, and it's the system that's leading the industry into a bright future. Find out more about this and other things at GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed coaching and marketing program, their unique industry-proven marketing platform takes the guesswork out of the equation. Instead of taking a shotgun approach, Repair Shop of Tomorrow uses predictive marketing that focuses on bringing the right cars into your shop. They utilize social media, email marketing, direct mail, personalized newsletters, and Napa value-added programs to create quality car count for their clients. This same branded message, same branded content marketing approach is bringing in the right customers and bringing them in more often, which is helping their clients add more net profit to the bottom line. If your current marketing strategy isn't yielding the results you would like, please reach out to Repair Shop tomorrow to get your marketing efforts dialed in. For more information about their program, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. So you're sitting here, Hunt. Okay, cut to the chase. I've heard enough about this of stuff that you don't like to do. What do you see successful shops doing? So there's one plan that we like to do that is essentially what we call a deferred asset sale of the business. So what this is, is essentially the same idea as giving a minority share in a business. I've decided there's a key employee. And the first thing that I do, even before I get into what I'm going to say, step one here next is I'm talking to this employee and saying, hey, would you ever like to work for yourself? And specifically, would you ever like to own this business? Now, you might be saying, Hunt, everyone wants to work for yourself, but that's because you're an entrepreneur if you're listening to this most likely. There's a lot of people that don't want to be self-employed. They like to show up, get a paycheck, clock out, go home, and be done with it. Now, a lot of people aren't that way, but if you're trying to make this plan, make sure that the other person is actually interested in buying this business. As long as they say, hey, you know what? I do want to buy this business from you. Next thing you need to do is you need to figure out how long away you are from being done in this business. Do you have one year left, two years left, 10 years left, 15 years left? Because we need to have a finite time here. These deals do not go well when they're open-ended. The person doesn't know if you're ever going to sell to them. They get antsy and it might end up blowing up in your face because they say, you know what? I'm done waiting for the owner to figure out. I'm going to go start my own and you know, kind of control my own destiny here. Now, if you're thinking to yourself and you say, all right, the employee is game for it. Either you've talked to them or they know because they've already talked about it and you've decided how far out you are, how far out you are is really going to dictate how you do this. So we are doing a deferred asset sale, essentially coming up with a purchase price that we're going to do at a future date. So one of the big things here is I don't want to push that too far out for two reasons. If you say, hey, hon, I'm 10 years out, then I say you're about five years from having to worry about this. 
Because if you try and set a price for 10 years out, that's going to be very hard and it could be drastically different than what you're doing now. Also, if we're trying to keep this key employee engaged, 10 years is just way too far away. If I was in the employee shoe and the person said, hey, I'm going to sell this to you in 10 years, and I was already kind of ready to start my own shop, I probably wouldn't even hear anything else. And I would say, all right, I know what I need to know now. This person's not out anytime soon. It's time for me to go explore my own options. Now, usually the sweet spot on this is about three years. Three years gives us enough time to plan for this, to you know, kind of get creative on you know the way that we set this whole thing up, but also close enough that it's you know relevant for both parties. The funny thing is, a lot of times you know, and I've done hundreds of these um, sorts of deals with my shops. A lot of times, you know, we start going down through, and I'm usually involved in the stage where we're evaluating this business, and I ask them, "How far out are we? Um, maybe five years, maybe seven years." And then once we go down through, we do the valuation, we start talking about it, we start getting more serious about it. You know, the employee starts getting more serious about it. Inevitably, most of those shop owners are like, you know what? I'm not sure if I really love this that much. Maybe we'll do it next year. Maybe we'll do it in two years. That that timeline always seems to go down. A lot of times that's also the case if they start talking to their spouse, um, which is a good piece of advice. You know, you might think that you have seven years less. Talk to your spouse. See what their goals are. They might be done with this. They might be sick of hearing you complain about the business. Hey, you're making money, but what's money if you don't have time to spend it, do stuff, enjoy time with your family, etc. So we're going to figure out how long we are away from being done. Ideally, it's around three years up to five years, but you know this is all a little bit fluid. The next thing that we need to do is we need to come up with the value of the business. So the way that we are going to work this is we are going to come up with the value of this business today. And like I said, if it's three years away, that's fine. Ten years away, you can't really do this. So the reason why we're coming up to value the business today is two reasons. First one is we need to create a plan. So I need to know how much this plan is going to be. I can't work a plan together if I have no idea what the ultimate purchase price is. Another thing is, is we don't want to um, we don't want to penalize this key employee for doing well, growing the business, growing profitability, and improving the business over the next three years while they're kind of in their earnout period. So essentially, what you're doing is you're saying, "Hey, we're going to lock it in here. Go ahead and make this business as good as you possibly can." Now you have a vested interest to drive the business and drive the profitability over the next three years. Yes, me as the owner and the seller of the business right now is going to make money over the next three years, but all of these improvements that you're doing are not only not going to affect the purchase price, they're also going to give you a better business when you go over and you start it in three years. Once we come up with the value of the business, now we need to figure out how we give out sweat equity. When you're probably saying, Hunt, what is sweat equity? So sweat equity is essentially almost the same thing as giving away a minority share of your business. And so just for simple math, what I'm going to do here is come out with what I would say is probably the most common plan that I see. So we got a business here. It's worth a million dollars. I'm three years out from selling this business. And I say, all right, the price is locked in at a million dollars. But here's what I'm going to do to you, Mr. General Manager. I'm going to say, if you work for me for the next three years, you do not have to pay me a million dollars for my business. You're going to get $25,000 credit against that each of the three years that you're here. And so if everything goes to plan, you do not owe me a million dollars in three years, you owe me 925,000. 
as you're thinking about this, this is a pretty sweet deal for the buyer of this. Not only are they not going to get penalized for the, as they grow this business, they're also going to end up getting a discount on the business. But what that does is it kind of gives them what we call the golden handcuffs. Now they have a vested interest. Now they've tied themselves to this business and it's not going to be easy for them to throw their hands up in the air one day and say, you know what? I'm done. I've had enough. I'm leaving. I'm going to go buy another shop. They probably already want your shop and now they've already earned some money against that. Now, on the other side of things of where you're protected from this is obviously put something into place is this is only active if you're still an employee. If you're no longer employee of the business, this deal is completely void. That protects you as the seller and the business owner because let's say year two, they start showing up late. They start giving a bad attitude, you know, drug, alcohol problem, whatever it might be. You hold all the cards and at any point you could say, you know what? You're not who I thought you were going to be, and this is not going to be the business for you. I'm tearing this up. Have a good life. We're done here. Versus if we had done that through a minority business, you could fire that employee, but you still have a minority partner in your business. Another thing about that sweat equity is you can make it whatever it wants to be, right? This is a very mental aspect of this. And so remember that same deal I was talking about that we said, hey, I'm going to sell it to you for a million and you're going to get sweat equity down to 925,000. What I would recommend to you is figure out what that number that you actually want is. Now it needs to be within reason, right? You're going to do a valuation or something. Don't go crazy on this, but you can essentially back into that number. So let's say instead of 925,000, you really wanted a million dollars for this business. You could go to that employee and say, you know what? This business is worth $1.15 million. But instead of you paying me $1.15 million, you're going to get $50,000 off of the purchase price for the next three years. At the end of the day, you now owe me a million bucks. You can see how that's the same exact idea as saying, hey, this business is worth $1,075,000 and every year you're going to give me $25,000 credit to lower that down. So you kind of go with this with the end in mind. Now, don't go super crazy on the valuation because then it's just dishonest and you don't want to set this person up for failure, but there's definitely some fluidity to how you do all of this stuff. The last thing on that is now that you've come up with this, you have a plan in writing, you're now kind of motivated to make this happen. The buyer's motivated to make these things happen. Everyone is excited about it. And we say, let's shake hands. We're going to do this. You know what, Jessica, I'm really excited for you to be the new owner of this. And this starts the next three years where I'm going to groom you to do exactly what I do. So those three years are very important because the start of those three years, you now have an owner-employee relationship. Jessica's my service manager, Jessica's my general manager, whatever, and she might not know a whole lot about running the business. However, flash forward to one day before that third year, I want her essentially running my entire business. Not only because it's going to take work off of my plate over the next three years, I'm also preparing her to work for herself. So the first year might not change too much depending on what you're doing. You might not even have the staff in place to really take over some of the day-to-day responsibilities. But by the end of year three, they should be doing the finances. They should be doing the sales tax. They should be doing the payroll. And if they're not actually doing that stuff, they're in and you're essentially treating them like an owner of the business. We want them to see everything that we're doing, exactly why we're doing, exactly how we're doing it. Because like I said, not only is that going to help us, that's going to be really, really important for them. 
I think that this is probably one of the coolest aspects of selling it to someone internal is you have this period where you can really impart your knowledge, which is going to be super, super powerful for them. They've never ran a business before, you know, and you've probably ran a business for decades. There's a lot of stuff that you do, not just because you're a good business owner, but you've probably get, got burnt in the past by doing something else. And so be able to say those tips and tricks. Hey, do you know why we make people sign that? Well, in the past, we didn't make people sign that, but then X, Y, and Z happened and I got sued or you know, people got disgruntled. And so by the end of it, not only do the customers you know, have a relationship with this person, the employees have a relationship with this person, you have a good relationship where you've kind of passed down this to the next generation. So now that we have the three years in place, now that we have kind of a plan of you know, how this is going to get earned out and what they're going to do in a day-to-day... The last thing is, is at the end of the three years, how are they going to pay for this? Are they going to need to go out and get a bank loan or are you actually going to hold the paper and do owner financing on this? So owner financing, like we talked about in the past, is, is really attractive. If you guys have a deal, doesn't no one else needs to value the business. You guys shake hands. Everyone's good to go. You finance it over five, seven years, make a little bit of money of interest and be able to stretch that money over a couple of years and hopefully reduce the tax burdens on it. Now, the downside to, you know, owner financing on it is obviously you're never officially done with the business till you're paid in full. If Jessica, my general manager, is into three, year three or year four of her payment plan back to me after I've already sold it and something happens or she shuts down the business, you know, it runs out of business. I have no recourse other than going to get my business back. If I'm 73 years old, I probably don't want to go back into a shop and I'd really think twice about doing owner financing. Either way, if you're on the fence about owner financing or getting a bank deal, then tell them it needs to be a bank deal so that they at least go through the process of trying to find a bank. Right now, banks are loving um, auto repair shop deals. As long as the business is cash flow positive, making money on it, a bank will probably pick up this deal, uh, assuming they have you know some sort of decent credit, not terrible credit personally. The reason why I say if always, if you're on a fence, always make them go through a bank deal is because if you say, hey, you can either finance or I can hold the paper, the buyer's inevitably not even going to talk to a bank because he's going to say, Ugh, that seems like a lot of work. I'll just let the current owner hold the paper on this one. The only last thing that I will say about owner financing is, is kind of, like I said, this is stuff that I've seen firsthand people get burned about, is if you own a real estate, do not sell that real estate along with the business until you're paid in full by the business. So the way I usually recommend this, and you know, I've done a couple of these deals recently where we did the exact same thing, service advisors buy my client out for a million dollars, going to hold the note on that for seven years. So he's doing owner financing. He also owns the real estate, but as I advised him, we cannot sell that real estate because we lose a lot of the collateral here. So what he's going to do is he's going to hold the note for seven years on a business and he signed a seven-year lease with this new owner of the business. So he says, for the next seven years, I'm going to be your landlord and I'm also going to be the bank where you pay me for my business. At the end of the seven years, we have two choices. I can either renew the lease, give you another seven, or at that point, if you're ready to buy, I'm ready to sell. I'll go ahead and sell the real estate. The reason why we do not want to sell the real estate is let's say that you sell the real estate to the new owner of the business and you're holding the note on the actual business and assets of the business. If they default on that note to you, then your only recourse, like I said before, is to go in and run that shop. 
However, if you don't own that real estate, you are not allowed to go into that shop. So essentially, you've lost all collateral and all recourse on the deal. So just to kind of reemphasize that one more time, if you're going to hold a note on this, make sure that you're still the landlord so that you can protect your interests. You know, to kind of wrap all this stuff up, I've seen this exact deal work hundreds of times. You know, it's a great thing if you think that you have someone that's about to leave, that you want to make sure that you can kind of keep that carrot out in front of them. And it also just sets expectations for everyone. You know, it makes this a really less stressful process if you say, you know what, I'm getting to the end of my career. I know I'm going to be done. Let me be open and honest with this person. So many times I talk to my clients and they have a person in mind that they're like, well, yeah, he's going to own my business in the future. I just know he is. Well, how far out are you? I don't know, maybe three, five years. Have you ever talked to them about it? Nah, I'm too far away from it. And a couple of times I've had those conversations and brought it up a couple of months later and they say, would you believe it? Steve actually went out and bought his own shop. And I talked to him about it after it all went down. And I said, well, I would have sold you my shop. And he said, well, I didn't know boss. And so I had to make a move on it. Versus if you're able to sit down, have an open and honest conversation and set an expectation here, you can really map out the next three to five years while you're winding down your business career and make a really smooth transition for everyone into your retirement, into their new stage as a business owner. So all the cards of this is in your favor compared to minority stock sale where that thing is really a ticking time bomb that can go very south. Hopefully it doesn't, but sometimes it does. So I hope this was informative. I know this was a lot of information. You know what? Maybe go back and listen to this again. And again, maybe this is not pertinent information for you right now because you're not close enough to this. But something to put in the back of your mind is a deal that, like I said, can work if done correctly and has a lot of different options. You can tweak and twist this for something that will work for your shop or shops as well. So if you thought this was informative, I love it. If you want to share this with a shop owner that you think could uh, stand to use this information, I would really appreciate it. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, or even want to be a guest on a future episode, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. Thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.